Welcome to another episode of No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life. I'm your host, Alicia Stickles. Today, in part three of our three-part series, Bringing Sexy Back, Keys to Good Sex and Intimacy in Marriage, I am once again sitting down for a conversation with my friend, Ashley Mossy, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a board-certified sex therapist. Every week, we promise to have real and needed conversations about hard issues facing families today. Well, today we are going to address the very difficult topic about the ways sexual trauma can affect the dynamics of intimacy in marriage. As we begin the conversation, if you are a listener who has survived sexual violence or misconduct, and this conversation becomes triggering in any way, please give yourself permission to turn this episode off. As someone who has sexual trauma as a part of their story, I want you to know that you are not alone, and I totally understand that this can be a sensitive and personal topic. However, if you feel comfortable listening and you are in a kid-free space, I believe this conversation could provide incredible understanding and even begin the journey of a healing process for you. So deep breath, and let's see what the Lord has for you today. Hey friends, welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. Uh, my name's Alicia Stickles. I'm the executive director of No Heart Left Behind. And I am joined again this week with my longtime, like longtime um, friend, Ashley Mossy. She is a licensed LMFT and board certified sex therapist. Um, and she was on our show last week, but this is just such an important content uh, uh, issue that, you know, has so much content and information and actually has so much wisdom about it. We couldn't put it all in one session. So Ash, thanks for being here again with us this week. Yeah. So happy to be here. Yep. Um, so I have to say that if you have not listened to part one, um, well, actually it's a three part series. So I guess part two of the series, part one with Ashley, um, you need to press stop right now and go back and listen to it because we talked about so many awesome things, just debunking some of purity culture's messages. We talked about different desire types and brakes and accelerators and all that to say is that, you know, as Christians, you know, we know sex is good. We know it's holy. We know it's something that is honoring and sacrificial, but that's pretty much where, you know, it, and I'm not knocking the church, but just where that, where the pulpit leaves us, you don't talk about much after that. And so when it gets all like messy and nuancy and it's not turning out the way that you had expected, um, you think what's wrong with me and what do I do about it? And I mean, as you know, sex is a, a huge issue um, in, you know, I would imagine in couples in your office. For sure. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a couple for whom sex has not been part of the issues. Yeah. Yeah. And that says a lot. Um, and, you know, I just feel like we haven't been given good information. <laughs> I don't know how else to, I don't, and then sometimes 
like we're given bad information and Mm -hmm. it has the Jesus stamp on it. And then you're just left holding all of this shame. Um, You know, today we are specifically going to be talking about one of the nuances and impacting variables that affects intimacy and sex within marriage. And that's um, sexual trauma. And, you know, I want to share a story with you just to give you an example, kind of what, what we have been talking about and what the hope for today is um, in unpacking all of this is I remember I was at a conference and this is like, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And a gentleman was talking about, um, I think what was scary was even a counseling conference, which is even more terrifying. Um, but they, the, he was talking about the verse. I think he said it in last episode um, about how, you know, no one should, you shouldn't withhold from your spouse. And it's a sin if you do. And I am sitting there listening to him say that. And as someone that I shared last time that has sexual trauma um, in her background, that was very triggering for me. I mean, I started crying mm-hmm. right there in my seat because I just, the enemy heaps so much shame on me because initiating and not wanting to, like, I mean, that's a common struggle that we have in our marriage because of my background. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so much shame and like that I was, I mean, I, I was healthy enough to know, and I had done enough work in my own, um, in my own life to know that what he was saying was, you know, BS and taken out of context and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that the word of God is BS. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> but I'm just saying that interpretation that and application the, is BS though. Yes. That imagine, is what I'm you, saying. Imagine had you not been, imagine that you had not done the work and not done some healing and you're getting that message that says, yes, basically, um, survivor, I would like for you to violate your sense of personhood and safety so that your husband has something to do with his penis. No, I can't. Yes. Yes. Well, and I know you put, you put it like that. Um, but honestly, before I was able to work through some of these issues with, um, my counselor, that is what I was doing. I was traumatizing myself over and over and over again. And so that's why I wanted to, I just felt like it was so important to as best as we can, right? Because this is a huge topic to address in like 35-ish minutes to just create a space where men or women who have this as a part of their story to feel seen, um, to feel like there's hope, um, to feel like it's okay and just maybe get some encouragement and maybe like a path, a starting point to a path forward. If you've never even addressed this in your life, because I mean, you said last episode, um, that, you know, the area of sex and intimacy should be about freedom. And it shouldn't be about 
obligatory. And I feel like this is an issue that stands in the way of having freedom in this area. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, 100%. This is a massive um, uh, obstacle to experiencing that kind of freedom. Yeah. And so before we get started, and um, I'm sure you will preface this as well, we understand that this is a very personal and a very sensitive um, topic. So, you know, we just want to say that as we jump into this, that, um, I mean, as someone who has walked through it myself, I understand. So um, that's why I'm so thankful that you're here with all of your 10 years of experience and your your knowledge to give us some good information that is just, you know, it, um, rooted in the belief that um, God wants healing for us in this area. So, um, yeah, any thoughts before we kind of jump in? Yeah, so I would just, I would echo that, that this podcast is going to cover some really hard stuff. And if you are someone who has survived sexual violence or sexual misconduct, um, I would just say to plan to do some grounding work before you listen and give yourself permission to turn it off. If your body starts to feel flooded, if you don't know what it, what that means, if your heart rate starts to get elevated, if you hear a ringing in your ears, if you start to feel immobilized, if you if your um, breath starts to go really shallow, if, if those things start happening to you, turn this off. <laughs> um, yes. It's a time for you to listen to that. Um, even if you think you can cognitively handle it, like even if you're like, no, this is fine, but your body starts to do some weird or unusual things, please listen to your body. Um, okay. sexual violence and sexual trauma is a violation of the body. Um, primarily it's definitely gets into the, the spirit and the emotions and the mind, but it's, it's a big violation of your body. And so please do not re violate your body using this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you so you have a lot of experience in this. I think you said that a, a good percentage of your clients um, that this is a topic that you have to navigate through with them. Is that true? Yeah. So I've worked with clients who have survived sexual abuse, trauma, violence, misconduct, you name it for, um, for 10 years. And I would say that at any given time, nine out of 10 of my like client load had some form of history with sexual abuse or trauma. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and this is where I want to start. I think it's important and want to ask you is what is like, let's define sexual trauma. Cause I will say this again, I'm just going to refer back to my story. I can remember um, walking into my counselor's office for the first time. And I um, like, I knew, the reason why I did that is because I, there were issues between um, my husband and I, you know, just in the bedroom and, and I knew something wasn't right. And I, and I had a sense and I, and I, I praise God for it. I, th I think it was totally the Holy spirit just saying, Hey, you need to get some healing there. But I walk into my counselor's office and she's like, you know, so why are you here? And I said, well, 
I said, my husband and I are, you know, we're, we're struggling in the area of like sex and intimacy. And I'm pretty sure it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, I, I was, um, I think I used the word like either, um, mistreated sexually, Mm -hmm. or I think I may have even said, um, that, you know, somebody was inappropriate. Like I could not say the words and that is so common. Yeah. And she's looking at me with just these, like, she's like, hold on. What do you, you mean, you mean you were, were sexually abused? And when she said those words, like it just, it came out, but I, I had like, like in my mind, what I had thought was sexual trauma was not what happened to me. And I feel like there are so many individuals out there that don't even know that they've been traumatized. So let's start there. Why don't you define this for us? Okay. So yeah, you will probably in this podcast, hear me reference clients. And I will just let you know that I have either the permission to share about their stories in a non-identifying way, or it's a composite sketch of multiple clients disguised so that they wouldn't actually know if they do it themselves. Um, Confidentiality is very, very important. Your therapist should never, ever, ever be like telling stories about you um, without your permission or in an identifying way. So you'll hear me say stuff, but that's my caveat about that. Um, So Sexual trauma, uh, let me, let me like define it. And then we'll talk about some of the misconceptions. Um, sexual trauma is basically the exposure to any sexually inappropriate behavior that caused a person to experience stress reactions. Um, this, this exposure to the sexually inappropriate behavior usually happens without their consent or if consent is not given freely. Um, it almost always involves a loss of control of your own body. Um, it is not always one single incident. It's not like I was raped one time. It could be, um, so I had clients one time where one of the partners was repeatedly exposed to, um, a parent and a parent's partner having sex in the room that she slept in and she was little Mm. seven, eight, nine. And this happened over years. No one ever touched her, but she was exposed to it. That's trauma. Um, so yeah, it, it, it can be a single incident. It can also emerge just in response to persistent distress or ongoing abuse. Um, some of what the story that you're telling just about your experience from the client side, I cannot tell you how many people I have had to be the person who told them that they were raped or told them that they were abused because wow. it's part of um, just our coping mechanisms to be like, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, no, that happens to other people, not to me. Um, just, it happens all the time, all the yeah. time. And that is not unique to me. You can probably tap any therapist on the shoulder and they will tell you a time that they had to inform someone that the um, toxic relationship was actually a perpetrator. Um, mm. just unhealthy emotionally. Um, so yeah. part of that is that we just have a lot of misconceptions about what that means. Um, a lot of people think that sexual trauma only happens if it was completed rape. Um, 
where like the perpetrator was successful um, or it can only be counted as trauma if you have cognitive memories of it or if it was violent. We kind of had this idea that there's like the creeper in the alley late at night that's like jumping out to like rape women on the ground. Um, most, most sexual abuse and assault happens. The perpetrator is a loved one or someone we know like, like 80 to 90%. Um, wow. so it is more often coercive rather than explicitly, explicitly physically violent. So meaning the, the targeted person says yes to avoid being hurt or to avoid disrupting family dynamics, or they're otherwise trapped in a relationship with this person. Um, that I, the amount of people that I've talked to that said, well, I never said no. Um, yeah. As if that somehow made it less violating. It, it does. Well, I, I, I did that same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, you were in good company. Mm. Um, yeah. Another thing that I see a lot, um, I'll hear from survivors is, well, I got hard when it was happening or mm. I got wet, my, my vaginal canal lubricated. Um, so I must have wanted it or I must have participated. Yeah in some way. Um, or I brought it on myself somehow. The thing is, is that body parts respond to stimuli, whether it's wanted or unwanted. So like, if you suck on a lemon, your mouth is going to produce saliva, whether you put the lemon in your mouth or someone is forcing the lemon into your mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. it's going to produce saliva. That is, um, it may have saved your life if you got hard or got wet in the middle of an attack or an abuse situation. So um, that does means nothing about whether it was wanted or unwanted, but it can feel really confusing to the people who experience that. Um, basically, the, the idea is that that response isn't going to go away if you didn't want the stimuli. Sexually relevant does not equal sexually appealing. Um, it's something yeah non-concordance. And it's basically when your mental desire and physical arousal don't line up, um, happens in non-traumatic sex also just as a heads up. Um, but it's definitely something that occurs in, um, a, a sexually violent or a sexually abusive scenario. Um, like I said, a lot of people think that it's not traumatic or it's not assault. If you didn't like shout no and try to punch your perpetrator. Yeah. There's a lot of different stress responses. Most people have heard of fight or flight. A lesser known one is the freeze response, which is when you experience some sort of numbness or um, immobilization of your body Mm -hmm. uh, to where saying the word no or running away becomes physically impossible. That is a survival mechanism. Um, but it's also really hard because it feels like your body betrayed you and it feels yeah. like you don't have a right to say that you were abused because you didn't, because your, your throat froze up and you couldn't get the word no out. Um, so those are, those are some of the like misconceptions that I see a lot. I had a client one time that, um, I was already working with her because she had experienced a rape that she knew was a rape. And then we had been working together for several months and she came in and she looked off and I was like, what's going on? And she was like, I had a weird thing happen to me this weekend. Um, I was at this event and I like went into a room to change and somebody followed me in. And before I knew it, like my, my like pants were down and he was like in me and, um, 
And I, and I had to be like, baby, you were raped again. And she was like, no, I, I didn't say no. I knew him. Like it was just, it just happened too fast. Um, and I was like, that, you, that was non-consensual. That was a rape. Um, and so like that, um, and, and one of the cool things is, is that because she was in therapy, when that happened, it was actually less traumatizing to her than her mm. first, um, attack was, uh, because we were able to immediately work through it and take some of the sting out. Um, but it, it is a hard thing when we've sort of defined sexual trauma as this one thing, but it's actually can look so wildly different. Um, and this has fingers that extend all over your life. So, yeah. So if you could pinpoint like, you know, cause I I would imagine kind of like, kind of like me, like I was saying, I'm like, okay, something is off. Um, what are kind of, so for the listener out there, that's like, well, maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't even actually totally know what I'm trying to ask, but what would help them kind of be like, yeah, okay. Because like you said, it's such a wide range. So maybe the question is like, how could you maybe know, like going back to the original definition? mm -hmm. So like in my intake paperwork with clients, I don't ask the question, have you experienced sexual abuse? What I ask is, do you have any memories of a sexual encounter that felt weird or uncomfortable or unwanted mm. weird or uncomfortable or unwanted. I find that those kind of like hit the bucket of, of yeah. often not knowing maybe what happened to you. Um, yeah. I also would want you to think about consent. Um, is that an experience that you wanted um, as an adult? Because if you were, 13, if you were 16 and that person was five years older than you, you are unable to consent. You are a little baby. You're a kid. Mm-hmm. You're not able to consent in that situation. Was there a power dynamic where you said yes, but it was so that you didn't lose your job? That's, that's, uh, that's an, an abuse situation. That is, um, that's misconduct. Um, so not just thinking about, did you say the word yes, but um, did you stand to lose something if you didn't say yes, um, is another, Mm. another thing to think about. Um, the other thing is that, uh, trauma leaves scars. And so some of those scars are symptoms like, um, disassociation. So it is uncanny the way almost all survivors describe this the same way. Um, but it's basically a disconnect between your brain and your body. Um, most people that I've heard describe this talk about it like their spirit left their body and is sitting up on a wall or up in the sky or up on a bedpost watching the sexual behavior happen to them rather than being inside of their body while it's happening. And that continues. So it's a sexual, it's, it's a survival mechanism that allows you to kind of piece out of something that's deeply, deeply. And once your brain has paired sex with disassociation, it will continue doing that. And so even when you're not with the perpetrator, maybe you were, are with a deeply loved and trusted wife or a deeply loved and trusted husband, your brain is still going somewhere else while you're having sex and you're not fully present in your body. Um, mm. 
so that that's that's a big piece around it. Also, people tend to have kind of one or two um, sexual like behavioral responses. One is um, hypo, and one is hyper. And so basically, some people so some people kind of go into hyposexuality, which is I want nothing to do with sex ever again. Their breaks, like what we talked about in the last episode, are just nailed to the floor. Um, it, they just want nothing to do with it. Hypersexuality mm-hmm. is a little bit different. Um, and it's basically when we do something, when trauma happens to us, our bodies will compulsively try to recreate a scenario to help us figure out what happened. Um, and okay. so hypersexuality means that, um, like I had a client one time who was having sex with, um, multiple women a day not mm. a sex addict, but went into this hypersexuality around this um, attack that had happened a year previous. And um, is basically his body's way of trying to take control of like, okay, I'm doing this act, but I'm in control this time. Um, gotcha. So, but it becomes like a compulsive, it's happening all the time. Um, yeah. So that's like... I have a colleague that works a lot with kids and teens. And that's like the number one thing that she looks for with kids um, when the parents are bringing them being like, my child is having sex with everything that moves. She is immediately looking for sexual abuse or a, a sexually traumatic experience because gotcha. that's what that looks like. Yeah. So how, uh, you know, because I want to get into like, So how does, how might this play out? And I mean, I feel like you've kind of talked on it a little bit, but just how might this play out in a marriage relationship? So, you know, Mm -hmm. what do you, how does it show up there in marriage? Yeah. So this is, this is a tricky one. Um, Basically, if, if someone has had an experience where sex was um, chemically in their brain paired with pain or fear or loss of control, this is going to impact how they will have sex from that point forward um, Mm -hmm. until healing is like sought. Um, So if you have a traumatic experience with sex, your body pairs sexual stimuli with feeling unsafe um, or painful or out of control. And it cannot, your precious body cannot differentiate if that sexual stimuli is happening with the perpetrator or a deeply trusted partner. It feels the same. And this is really hard for both the survivor and the partner of the survivor because the partner is going, but I'm not him. I'm not her. I didn't do this to you, but your spouse's body can't tell the difference. The sexual stimuli Mm. is sexual stimuli and it takes a really long time and some very intentional effort to unpair sex with fear or sex with pain or sex with feeling out of control. Um, so a lot of times I find that partners start off partners of survivors start off kind of mystified and trying to be patient, um, especially is mystified if they don't know that their partner is a survivor, cause that happens a lot, um, mm-hmm. to be patient if they do know that their partner is a survivor, but that often, if it's not addressed, can just kind of disintegrate into resentment or anger or insecurity. Um, It's just, it's really hard on both the survivor and the partner. This is not a um, 
trauma affects the entire system, not just the individual who is perpetrated against. So um, another just kind of funny thing, there's no research on this. This is just anecdotal to my practice, but I have found that there is something really strange that happens when a couple actually gets married. So there is something about the spiritual reality of two becoming one in a marriage ceremony that prompts, it can trigger almost a feeling of being trapped um, that triggers all of the trauma responses. And so I've worked with couples Mm. that sexually fine, they got married and all of a sudden all of his trauma responses showed up. All of a sudden, all of her trauma responses showed up. So there's, there's something interesting about that. Um, wow. There's no, I don't even know how you do research on that, but I have seen that over and over and over again in couples that if they were sexually active prior to marriage and may have been fine, um, or may have felt fine, they get married and all of a sudden it's hard and it's a problem, Mm -hmm. which again, makes it even doubly confusing, you know, for the spouse of the one that has the trauma is like, what just happened? What? You know, we were yeah. fine and you know, 100%. Uh, yeah. Golly. Yeah. So it, to, it, it is to the point now where I will warn premarital couples about that. If I know that they hmm. have abuse history and they are about to get married, I will literally be like, this is what I have experienced in my practice. It's something you should be aware of. I hope it doesn't happen to you, but if it does get your butts back in here um, and we yeah. will do it immediately. So uh-huh. The other thing that happens just like biologically is that sexual trauma affects both the brakes and the accelerator in the survivor. And so they, there have been some studies that have been done that basically survivors of sexual abuse and or trauma um, have higher levels of cortisol just resting in their brain. And cortisol is a stress hormone that puts you into fight or flight. And so the idea of like, if our ancient ancestors are fleeing a saber toothed tiger, um, the cortisol has spiked really high in their brains in order to narrow their, like almost to put like horse blinders on them. They're only thinking about survival. Um, It would make sense then that when cortisol is high and you are thinking about survival, sex is a very low priority. What happens in survivors' brains is that there's a higher level of cortisol, which means that they are inherently chemically much more attuned to sexual breaks. And the accelerator is useless because like we talked about in the last podcast, if you don't, if you've not done the work to get the break unstuck, you you can't do anything with your accelerator. So Hmm. Uh, yeah, it basically will, for survivors, you, you suppress sexual stimuli and then sexy contacts, sexy clues feel threatening instead of appealing. Hmm. Yeah, man, like this is, I don't know, this is just hitting home. Um, so I, I, I think what I want to ask next is just, okay, so you have couples that obviously are dealing with these and and these um things that are going on within the 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 victim or the one that has trauma um let's talk a little bit and just give some encouragement to the spouse of this person like what what do you even i tell this to carrie all the time i'm like i don't know what to do with me like just I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I don't even know what to tell. 
tell you to do. Um, and he just does. He he loves me and he feels such at a loss sometimes, like like he doesn't even know which way mm-hmm. is up. And so maybe giving some encouragement to the spouse first of um the person that maybe has trauma. And then we'll talk yeah. about um the person who has the trauma. And yeah. yeah. So if it's okay, I'm actually reverse it on you because even okay. the spouse has a um big role to play here. They are not the ones that had to walk through that trauma. We are always going to prioritize the person who experienced the trauma and is living in an unsafe body. Um, okay. We, we prioritize the vulnerable here. And so the, the first thing that I would say is that you have to get a therapist. You have to. Um, I think a lot of things that I have helped couples work through, they may have been able to do on their own eventually, like give enough time and patience. They were just able to get to it quicker with me. Um, this is not one of those things. Your friends, yeah. pastor, the Instagram accounts, the book you're reading, they can all be part of your support system, but none of them are trained to help you heal from a violation of body and spirit. And yeah. they can actually do more harm than good, mm. even if their intentions are good. This is a situation where, um, this would, this would be like somebody walking into the OR and be like, I have intentions of doing a very good <laughs> today. And they, and And it's like, cool, I'm so glad that your intentions are towards not harming this person. But do you have eight years of a medical degree? No? Okay, well, we're going to back you out of here slowly because you don't know what you're doing and you will cause Mm -hmm. harm. And so I had just really strong feelings about this because I have seen so many people who were secondarily traumatized by really well-intentioned people in their lives. Yeah. I wound up having to help them undo a... A, a different trauma in addition to the one that they already suffered. Like that sucks, mm-hmm. you know? So get a therapist. Um, second thing that I would say is learn to pay attention to your body and what it says is okay and not. Your body was violated and that creates a whole system. I could talk about this for a while, but that creates a whole system where you don't, you have to relearn how to trust your body, but your body is going to tell you the truth. So Stop having trauma sex immediately <laughs> if it's possible. Yeah. If you are having sexual contact where you are dissociating, you're feeling used, you're feeling out of control, you're feeling like you don't have a real no, stop it. You are re-traumatizing yourself every single time and you are creating a super highway in your brain of paired sex and pain or paired sex and fear. And the more you do it, the harder it is to undo that pairing. So yeah, I've heard the, I've heard the phrase that the neurons that fire together, wire together. together. That's correct. And so if they're, if you've got the pain and fear, yeah, you know, firing at the same time of, as sex, they're going to, they're going to wire together and it's hard to undo. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a Dan Siegel quote. Yeah. Um, So if you are the survivor, go individually and then go, go to a therapist individually and then go as a couple because sex is not something you're doing by yourself exclusively. Um, you are in a partnership and you are going to need to do this together because you're going to have to find a new way forward together. Um, so the, the encouragement is that healing is not just possible. It is probable with the right help. That mm. is 
most likely outcome that you will heal from this and you will recover. Um, if you're a survivor, you deserve the chance to experience sex as a lovely, free, enjoyable part of how God made you. You deserve that. One of the profoundly unfair, just, oh, I hate it. It is so unfair that when you survive trauma, you did not cause the problem. Someone did that to you and you did not deserve it. And somehow you are responsible for finding the solution. That sucks and mm. is the worst. It's garbage and it's true. And so you are going to be responsible for finding the solutions so that you do not continue suffering, even though it's not your fault that you're suffering. Yeah. So, and then I would say to the spouses, a satisfying sex life is possible. It is going to require you laying down your sexual life for your spouse. So the spouses of the survivor, I would say that a satisfying sex life is possible. It is, it's going to require you laying down your sexual life for your spouse. Um, I have never had, I've never worked with a couple that I didn't have to prescribe a season of sexual abstinence for. It is part of the healing process, um, but it's time limited, but it is going to happen. So I want you to be prepared for that. It's part of that um, rewiring of the brain because you have to stop having sex for a while in order to figure out what is safe touch, what is good touch, what does pleasure mean instead of just expecting pain or stress. Um, the other thing I would say is get educated so that your partner is not having to explain everything to you. They should yeah. not have to come home from their therapy session and like download to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> books, follow the Instagram therapists, some of them, if they're good. Um, but get some information. A quick Google is going to open up a whole world um, to you, but get some information so that your spouse is not responsible for not only digging through their own hard, but also bringing you along with them and floating you along with them. Yeah. Um, is there a Instagram uh, therapist that, you know, that deals with this topic that you th can think of off the top so of your head that you just love? I don't know specifically about abuse. I have a lot of book recommendations for that. Okay. I give you those. You can put them in the show notes, but yeah. Diane Langberg, Wendy Maltz, um, Mike Liu, Dan Allender. Uh, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which is really good. I it's have heard that about that book. Yeah. But it's really good. Um, just telling you about kind of what happens in your body in those moments. Yeah. Um, I think too, just as again, speaking as someone that has, I think what you just said just about um, the spouse getting educated because I love that, you know, when I come home from my sessions, um, you know, my husband is interested and he wants to hear, you know, if I, if I want to share, he doesn't make me. Um, but sometimes it is like really hard to just like, um, communicate what I just went through and the understandings and the truths that I came to. So I loved you. I love that point about um, them maybe looking at other resources to get understanding, because I know for me, if my husband was to listen to a podcast or pick up a book or um, anything to just try to understand my heart and my experience, I mean, that would speak volumes it's to so me. Yeah. Yeah. Like just you, I mean, I would just feel 
so supported and I feel like they would get some understanding. So it'd be like, oh, okay, this makes yeah. more sense. And it's not Re- me. Recovering from trauma is such a, um, it could be such a lonely experience. And mm-hmm. even though like the best of partners want to be there in it with you, but it's kind of like childbirth where like, yeah, we're doing this together, but like only one of us is pushing a watermelon out of our bodies and there's something <laughs> lonely in that. And so anything that the spouse can do to kind of just communicate, I am in this with you. We are in this together. I want to support you as you are doing the hard work alone. Um, mm-hmm. is really and I, I think the coolest part about the role of the spouse is that you get to be an active part of someone else's healing. Mm, yeah. Your, your precious, most loved person, someone hurt them and hurt them unimaginably. I I read a quote that was like, basically sexual assault or rape is the most violent crime a person can survive. Think of it as being akin to surviving an attempted murder, but sex was the weapon. Mm. It is, it is unimaginable. Someone to the highest degree but you get to be the balm. You get to be the person they heal with. There is no greater honor. There is no better way to be like Jesus than being the solution for a problem you didn't cause. Um, so yeah, I, I think kind of flipping the script of, um, you get to, yes, you get to be part of this person finding freedom in something that was, um, removed from them without their consent, um, in a terrible way. So, and what, what exactly what you said, just what a beautiful display of sacrificial love, you know, that Christ showed on the cross, but that we, you know, have you, like you said, you get to show, um, to your spouse, putting your desires, um, on, I guess, you know, laying them down for a while and focusing on, um, your spouse. So, um, in wrapping up, I do, we talked about this last week. I do just want to remind everybody because again, such a huge topic. (laughs) Um, and it's one of many things that is just, uh, plays into the, the variable, the impacting variables of intimacy and, um, healthy sex within marriage. And so we felt like, okay, we can't fit all of this in a 35-ish minute podcast. <laughs> um, so we're going to have a, a seminar um, where you are going to come and, and give us, you know, more of your wisdom and solutions and steps and things. Um, it's on October 19th and it's called Bringing Sexy Back uh, Keys to Good Sex and Intimacy in Marriage. And I'm just I'm really excited about it because I think it will um, just be glorifying to the Lord and bring so much, so many steps of healing and freedom in this area for couples. So for sure. Um, I'm excited about it. If you thought the last two podcasts had like a lot of information, I have so much more. <laughs> it was so <laughs> hard for me to narrow this down to like 35 minutes time because I just feel like I'll talk about this for a while. So, and the seminar, yeah. it's, it's a lot of laughter. It is, um, a lot of, um, it's not, you're not just going to listen to me talk. We do a lot of different, um, kind of fun exercises and, and group, um, talks and it's, it's a really good time. So come. That's, 
That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm super excited. So if you want to know more about it, you can check out um, the information in the show notes and, and get registered and signed up for that because space is limited. But Ash, again, I'm just, I am so grateful to know you for as long as I have and just so thankful for like your passion and your wisdom on this. I mean, just, I know the Lord is going to use it, um, you know, to help so many of our listeners and then hopefully people that come to our seminar. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and have gained a little more understanding about the effects of sexual trauma on a relationship. For resources on this topic, please check out the show notes for some great recommendations from Ashley. As you can probably tell, Ashley has so much more to offer concerning the topics of sex and intimacy in marriage. So like I mentioned, NHLB has decided to bring her in for a one-night seminar called Bringing Sexy Back, Keys to Good Sex and Intimacy in Marriage. This will be an informative seminar in a fun and relaxed atmosphere that will provide couples with practical life-giving information for improving intimacy in your marriage. For all of the details, you can check out our events page on our website, noheartleftbehind.com, or find the link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. And if you loved this episode or even this series, it would mean so much to us if you would leave a review. It really helps the visibility of the podcast. Thanks for listening and trusting us with such a personal topic. Mm-hmm.